Good morning, ZPC. I apologize for my voice today. Uh, I woke up like this, and uh, you know, I feel fine uh, by and large, but uh, in some ways, when it gets a little bit lower, it's kind of like the voice I always wanted uh, and felt like I deserved but never had. So uh, I do apologize. Hopefully, it's not much of a distraction. Like I said, I feel okay, but um, if it is, sorry. Well, all right, we are continuing to look at uh, different prophets as we go through Advent. We're taking a brief pause uh, from the Gospel of Luke, um, and we are looking today um, at the book of Malachi, which is the very last book uh, in the Old Testament. And if you're curious, there's about 400 years between uh, when Malachi was written and when Jesus comes. And so there's this large kind of gap of silence uh, between that. But Malachi uh, is the prophet and the book that we will be looking at today. Uh, and so it means messenger is what Malachi means. And so we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So I invite you to hear these words. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like washer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, on this, the second Sunday of Advent, we thank you. We thank you for these covenant children who have led us in worship. We thank you for this reminder, Lord, that you have called us to come to you as children. We pray once again, Lord, as... The world around us will call us to keep moving more and more speedily towards Christmas Day, that you would help us to be fervent in slowing down. Fervent, Lord, in recognizing where you are being born in our midst even today. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So I, I want to start this sermon this week by just kind of quickly saying why it is that we look at this particular passage during Advent. You know, Advent is a time when we um, celebrate the fact that Jesus has come, as well as uh, when we begin to wait with expectancy for his return and when God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And primarily the reason why we look at this particular passage, uh, chapter 3, um, during Advent is because of the first verse. The very first verse uh, talks about how, uh, how the God is going to send someone who will prepare the way 
uh, and that the Lord is going to come and be in his temple. Uh, and so traditionally in the church, we've recognized as the one who was kind of coming to prepare the way of the Lord, that that is uh, John the Baptist, and then the one um, who is the messenger of the covenant, we look at as being Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of Matthew even uh, attributes this uh, and talks about Malachi and this connection uh, with Jesus's coming and then, of course, we also have there at the very end of this passage that I read, you have this sense of the refiner's fire. The people were wanting justice. And so you have this sense that at the end, uh, when Jesus returns, that God's justice and kingdom will come as well. And so we have this, uh, this sense of the fact that, uh, again, of this reminder during Advent of Jesus's return. And I want us to look a little bit more at this passage, but this week as I was thinking about it, I realized that by and large, most of us probably are not super familiar with Malachi. In fact, I'm not sure that I've ever preached on Malachi. So I think it might be helpful uh, for us just to get a little bit better sense as to this whole book of the Bible and this prophet. Uh, not surprisingly, almost always, whenever prophets are introduced to us, it's because there's trouble that is at hand. And that's certainly the case here in Malachi. At this point, what's happening is that the people of God are clearly not following him. We're told that they are uh, having affairs. Uh, we are told that they are not caring for the widows and the orphans, uh, that they are not paying their workers well, uh, and that they are caring for the foreigner who was in their midst. And so because all these are happening, uh, all of a sudden, of course, Micah is called by God to go and to wake the people up. And this is exactly, I said Micah, I'm going to say Micah a lot. Malachi uh, is called to go and do this. Now, there, are, there is one issue that is the greatest issue, it seems, because it's what Malachi talks about more than any other when it comes to the sin of God's people, and that is that they are not taking worship seriously enough. They're not keeping the Sabbath day holy. They're not bringing in their tithes. And perhaps uh, most disturbingly for God, uh, they are not taking seriously the call to bring animals as a sacrifice. Uh, they're bringing animals that are lame or are diseased and are saying, well, this is good enough and thinking that it will just be fine. And so as God looks at this, it's clear that worship for these people um, is perfunctory at best and quite frankly, is mockery at worst. And so God says, you cannot continue to worship me like this. If you are going to worship, you need to bring uh, what is the best that you have to offer, not simply the leftovers. Now, the second thing that God is really upset about when it comes to the book of Malachi is a little hard for me to admit, um, but it is this. He is most upset, it seems, with the Levites. And the Levites, as you may know, were the priests of the community. They were kind of the pastors, if you will. And the pastors, the priests, were not doing their job. And God was, quite frankly, livid with them. Because they weren't kind of shepherding the people as they were supposed to shepherd them. They, uh, they were not instructing and guiding them. They were actually harming the people. And the greatest way that God sees the, the priests, the pastors doing this is in the sacrifice. You see, because the people were bringing these sacrifices 
And the priest saw them, right? They knew uh, when it was a three-legged calf. Uh, They realized that there was a whole leg missing. And so they knew that there was an issue, and yet they just let it slide. They said it was fine. In fact, Scott Hosey kind of riffs. He says, there they were. The people were bringing in those three-legged lambs, their blind calves, their cows with hoof and mouth disease. And they were bringing them in. And the priest was saying, is this the best you have to offer? And they were saying with a wink and a smile, you know it is. And the priests were saying, I sure do. And we're just taking them, no big deal at all. And so while God was weary, we are told, with the people of Judah and Jerusalem, he was absolutely livid when it came to how the priests, how the pastors were allowing this to happen. So what does Malachi do? Well, last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about how prophets, uh, one of the great things about them is that they are really kind of artists, that they love to paint a picture. They love to use their imagination to describe something that helps us to understand exactly what it is that God wants us to know. And they love to do this in such a remarkable way that it, that it uses all of your senses, right? So, so that it engages your imagination, your, your smell and your sight and your hearing and your touch. This is what uh, God knows. This is what the prophets use in order to help us to really understand what's being said. And so in this lengthy kind of diatribe against the priests, here in the second chapter, around verse 3, this is what Malachi says. This is what God is going to do. Speaking for God, he says this, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. That's not what you were expecting, was it? I will rebuke your offspring. Oh, that's fine. That's just the kids coming after me. No biggie. And spread dung on your faces. As soon as I read that, uh, A, I was disturbed uh, as a pastor. And then and B, I, I kind of re- was reminded of the, the long walk that, um, that Shaughnessy and I took a couple months ago that I've talked about probably too much. But uh, it's, it, no, it's the thought that came to my mind, which was as we were walking, we walked in a lot of farmland, uh, which meant, and I don't think they like to use kind of artificial fertilizers and stuff. So it meant that um, there was uh, a lot of... Uh, um, Thank you. Call it what you want. Yep, that's exactly right. So we smelled it, and, and, and probably the greatest example of this was we had walked up what felt like a mountain, but we're kind of flatlanders, so it probably wasn't that big, but we were breathing in very heavily, right? We, I mean, we were like, and as we were doing so, we just knew that there was a smell, and it was just so disgusting, and we got to the top of the hill, and there it was, right? It was a whole mountain, of dung, right? It was steaming. You've seen this before, right? Now, some of you, it smells like money, right? And you like that. But for most of us, it was like, oh my gosh, that is nasty. Shaughnessy was like dry heaving next to me. And I was like, come on, babe, we got to get through this. But here's what I thought about. That in order to kind of live this out, this is exactly what, if Shawnee were to have walked over to that pile of dung and grabbed it, and began to wipe it on her pastor father and began to wipe it on his head and over his eyes and in his ears and in his nose and in his mouth. 
But this is exactly what God wanted us to feel. God wanted us to smell and to taste. He wanted the priests, the pastors, to understand with full clarity what it was that they were doing when they allowed everyone just to come in and worship willy-nilly and decided to not tell the truth. Now, of course, as you might suspect, I want to defend these priests a bit because I can hear what they might be saying to God, probably because I've heard myself say it perhaps at times. Come on, God. A blind calf is better than no calf at all. Or, God, if I say something about how their worship is really not that great, then they likely might start looking at my life and asking, what am I offering up to God? Or perhaps, you know, as we go around, you know, we pastors, we deal with people, we say, oh, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm just tired I'm tired of talking about it. I once talked about my first year of pastoring. I, I talked about, please bring in only the four-legged animals. I talked about that. And you know what? They didn't care. Nobody cared. It was falling on deaf ears. I'm tired. I just want to do it and go home and watch my Colts play and go on with my life. I don't want to have to worry about this. And as I was thinking about that, I just could kind of picture God, you know, saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Where would you like the dung? <laughs> yeah, but God, okay, how about right here? Is that good for you? Do you like that? And I began to think I had this image in my head this whole week, you know, as I was thinking about this sermon, you know, we should probably either have just kind of, you know, in our pastor's study, just a small pile of dung somewhere or maybe a picture, scratch and sniff, something like that. So that as we are doing the sermons, as we are feeling ourselves wanting to hedge, we can keep saying truth or dung. Truth or dung. Truth or dung. Now it's interesting here what Malachi does. Because immediately after talking about this, he then says, remember, basically, remember Levi. Levi was the original priest. Remember Levi. I made my covenant with him. Do you remember him? He was a man of integrity. He was a man who worshiped me with awe and in holiness. He was a man who pushed people to follow God. Remember Levi. What God is trying to do here is saying, remember who you are. Remember who you were created to be from the very beginning. It's clear that the priest had forgotten who they were, and the reason why we know that is because we saw how they were living. Now, let me be clear, this passage is not just for clergy. As I've already said, God's also accusing the people. No, you all are not off of the hook here. You can't just blame the priest or the pastors, right? It's still your three-legged calf. 
those who were having affairs, those who were, uh, who were not giving generously, all of these things that are happening in this particular story. And what's fascinating is that God seems to be saying to all the people as well, you need to remember who you are. I, I love what Gregory Allen says here. Let's look at this. He says this about this passage. He says, in God's judgment, the Levites and the people are asked to see themselves not just as they have become, but as they are created and called to be. In other words, this isn't just for us to sit and say, oh, look at what we've become. Oh, we're just not doing it right. No, no, the time of Advent is a time for us to slow down and to remember who we are. Jesus Christ was born because of his love for us, right? God sent his son out of his great abundance of abundant love for those of us whom he has created in his own image. Advent is a season to remember who God has created us to be. And for Malachi to be able to tell us this, what does he do? He gives us, gives us two more images, but just one more that I want to focus on today. And that is the refiner's fire and helping to purify uh, silver. Now, I don't know if you know much about smithing or being a silversmith. I don't know that much about it, but I learned a little bit more about it recently. And here's a part of what a silversmith does. You know, if they want, you know, they get this ore and it has impurities in it. And so they're wanting to get the impurities out, of course. So what do they do? They put it in a fire, right? Which causes it to heat up, which causes it to melt. And as you may or may not know, as it begins to melt, the dross, right? Which are the imperfections, they begin to come up to the to the top, right, to the surface. And so as the silversmith sees this, what does he or she do? They begin to kind of scrape off the impurities and then more kind of comes up because of the heat and they begin to scrape off those impurities. But now here's what's fascinating. If for silversmiths to know that it's becoming purer and purer, the way that they can tell is that the silver, the ore that they're looking at, the metal that they're looking at, begins to become more and more like a mirror. So the clearer that they begin to see themselves in the silver, the more they know it is becoming purer and purer silver. So that what James Montgomery Boyce says is that it is this way with God, that when God sees us as God is able, as we allow God to scrape off those parts of us that do not reflect him, that he begins to see his image in our lives. And you see, what this reminds us of is this, is that who we are created to be, we are created in the image of God. And the more that we can begin to see that, the more that we will begin to live into who God has called us to be. And that's an important theological framework for us to see this life of faith. Uh, it may surprise you to know that my children are not always perfect. And so we have to correct them from time to time. None of them are perfect, Joe. But neither are their parents, to be clear. So a little while back, um, we were having to correct one of my children. I won't name who it was. And we were having to correct. And at some point, she said, I have four daughters, so it's safe to say she. She said, 
In all earnestness, I know, Daddy, I'm terrible. That, of course, broke my heart. It was not what I was trying to tell her, is that she was terrible in any way. And so the more I thought about it, the more I realized, of course, that what I'm actually trying to do is tell her the exact opposite. Which means what I'm trying to tell her is, no, 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 you're actually a remarkable child of God. You are a beautiful child of God. This was how God created you. But all of us forget this at times. And the way that we know that we have forgotten about it is in those moments when we are disobedient, in those moments when we are not loving our neighbors, in those moments uh, whenever we are not being generous, whatever it might be, those moments, those don't mean that we're terrible people. It means that we have forgotten who we are. And a part of following Jesus is remembering who we are so that the more that some of those imperfections, which all of us have, get scraped off the top, the more God sees his image as it is. But so often for us to get to that place, we have to go through these moments, this time of heating of the refiner's fire. For most of us, what that means is that we have to go through, it's those times of struggle, it's those times of suffering, it's those times of fear. Whatever those times are, when your heat in your own life begins to grow, these are always remarkable opportunities for us to begin to pay attention to what is rising to the top. So uh, as a priest, so that I can scrape some dung off of my own face, let me tell you one of the ways that I see this happening in my life. Whenever there is heat here at the church, whenever we're going through uh, whatever it is, some kind of struggle or whatever it is, and, and I feel like I don't have control. I love having control. I've said that to you before. Who doesn't like being in control? I love, some of you don't. You're much better than me. I like being in control. So if there is something here that is happening where I am not in control, I go home. And you know what happens at home? Girls, come on up here. No, I'm just kidding. What happens at home is that then I begin to respond in a way that I, I become stricter. I become more stringent. I have less and less patience. At home, I want the control to be fully mine. Right? When it comes to the top, this is what happens in my life. I see this desire for control. You see, because what I've forgotten in those moments is who I am. I've forgotten that God has created me in his image. He did not create me as a God. And so I have to give up that control. And where it is, it is very painful. It is painful. You know, the kids don't usually know why, but they will oftentimes respond like, Dad, why are you yelling right now? Why are you so upset? This is Seems weird. Or my wife will have to say something about my lack of patience or whatever else it may be. Or even when I just have to look in the mirror and I begin to see that. And I realize that I have forgotten who I am. And at those moments, if I have the wherewithal, I can say, God, scrape this need for control that I have off of me. We, of course, as a nation, as a world, went through a major heating during COVID. 
right? This was a lot of heat. This was a lot of pain, anxiety, fear, all of those things. So what did we begin to see? This is where it gets interesting. People began to drink drink a lot more. People's waistlines began to expand. We began to buy things and buy a lot of things and kind of weird things at times that we just got panicky and thought we should buy, right? Toilet paper, et cetera, et cetera. We're still going through toilet paper that we bought in 2020. <laughs> Not really. People became very outwardly angry. There was so much vitriol, right? Everyone was talking about this. Everyone's so mad. Now, there are some who would say, oh, Look what COVID caused. That's what happens all because of COVID. Maybe. But what I want to suggest is that actually what happened, you see, is that the heat kind of caused those things to be much clearer to ourselves and probably to others. Tim Keller says, most often our flaws, we're able to kind of hide them when there's no heat. Uh, We're able to ignore them. Most people don't see them. They're not there. But in the midst of heat, what happens, right? When you feel out of control, however you usually cope, right? If your way of coping is to drink some, when there's a lot of heat, you drink enough that you begin to notice and so do others. When, if your way of coping is to say, I just want to buy things that makes me feel better, then in times of heat, what you begin to realize is that you have way too much of toilet paper in your closet and spilling into your living room. And you're like, wait, something weird is happening here. What happens if you are already struggling with loving your neighbor and then all of a sudden you have all of this? What happens is that you begin to go online and you start shooting off things and then you begin to go onto airplanes and you begin to get a lot angrier on airplanes and it just begins to reveal itself again and again and again. You see, this is what heat does. Heat just begins to bring out some of those impurities that were there that we do a really good job of hiding during the cooler times. And so actually... For those of us with the eyes to see and who take the time, if rather than just saying, how do I get through this heat? How do I just get to the other side? I just got to grin and bear it. But if we take the time to say, what what am I learning about myself? What am I seeing in the midst of this? What do you normally default to? To. How often do you default to saying, I want the peace that I'm kind of wrestling with to be in Christ versus trying to find peace through this or that? When times of heat, and you can reflect to even think about it, you don't have to be going through it right now, you can begin to see with great clarity, oh, when I'm in the midst of the refiner's fire, this, this is what begins to come out. There's lots, of course, of other examples that we could give. Sometimes it's self-hatred that comes out. You know, in the midst, of, in the midst of, of, of heat or suffering or pain, maybe there's a sense of, oh, I deserve all of this. I'm horrible. This is not, you know, and, and, and at times then you even begin to voice that. That's when it begins to be seen. And you have to say, oh, this is always here. But now, now, it's, now I'm seeing it even more clearly. Other times, it's a, a lack of generosity that all of a sudden begins to come as you begin to say, okay, I gotta, I gotta hold all these things closer or you begin to use the wealth you have to begin to manipulate other people to try to make yourself feel more at peace or at rest. Other times, maybe you already have a natural propensity towards self-pity and, and coveting and jealousy towards others and, 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 and when, in times of heat, you just begin to say, oh, 
you know, ah, it's always so bad for me and their lives are so great. And it finally comes brimming to the top, all these thoughts that you've kind of been hiding. See, the season, it seems to me, we can take opportunity in the season of Advent for all of us, including this week, to begin to just say, okay, if I'm going through heat right now or if I'm going through heat in the days ahead or as I look about it in the past, how, what, what's kind of coming to the top? What are some things that I might ask God, God, can you scrape these parts off of me? This need for control, this need to cope by what I eat or by what I drink or these petty jealousies or this self-hatred, whatever it may be, God, this is not who you have created me to be. I'm going to ask Jason to come up. We're kind of, I think, kind of doing this. We'll see if we have enough time next week to do this or not. But I want us just to sit here again, much like we did last week and Jason's just going to play a song through a couple times, and then he and Carly will sing it. And, um, and I want us just to kind of reflect and just ask, God, what, what are those things? When I'm in the midst of heat, what are the things that are coming to the top? And then simply invite God to come and to scrape that we might begin to live more and more into who God says we are as those who have been created in his image.